Ave María purísima. Sin pecado concebida. Perdóneme, padre, ¿por qué pecado? Te escucho. Acabo de llegar nueva aquí como maestra. No sé si estoy preparada. Con escribir ese nombre, Talia. ¿Qué? Nada. Tengo duda. ¿Tú? Para mí es Ana María. La niña santa. María. Madre. Madre. Tu don es un regalo del cielo. Tu llegada a este convento tiene un motivo. No hay que tocar sus dibujos. Si escribe tu nombre... Estás maldita. Ya verás como todo irá bien. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Bienvenidos, católicos. Uh, for my English-speaking friends, greetings and salutations, you wacky Catholics. Ah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm I'm kind of fighting off the uh, the sec, I guess, of a head cold that I I started feeling coming on around Tuesday, Wednesday ish, and it got kind of ugly on Thursday, but then uh, it's slowly been uh, going down in a way. So I think like in the next couple of days I should be back to uh normal but uh yeah man it feels like it's been a few years since i've had a head cold um with all the <laughs> pandemic stuff and yeah i knew it would happen though because you know kids in school that's usually they're, they're gonna bring it home so uh i'm it actually I, yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm in the complete opposite boat i as many of you know i went to disneyland on halloween And this is the first public event I've attended in three years where I did not get sick. The first convention, the first Vegas trip, the first, you know, uh, work conference, whatever the case may be. So literally, I'm counting my blessings that I came back from Disneyland and didn't catch anything. So, yeah, I'm in the opposite boat, Mike's in. Well, that's cool because that's probably got to be like average or got average being like one of the most busiest daily places how how packed was it for the night you went not at all i'm actually very surprised i don't know i guess halloween night kids just you know kind of go trick-or-treating or whatever because the parking lot was like half empty um i didn't have to wait more than probably what like 40 minutes was the longest line and that was for haunted mansion so yeah i was actually shocked how dead it was i was i was also very surprised how many people Uh, I did not see in costume. Now, I do understand that Disney has kind of a strict 
um, policy on wearing costumes, like you can't wear a mask or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So maybe that kind of deters people from wearing, you know, doing cosplay, if you will, on Halloween at Disneyland. Uh Yeah, I was very surprised how little people I saw and how little people in costume I saw. So, yeah, if you're in Southern California, Halloween seems to be the night to go to Disneyland. All right. Also with us, as always, is Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Yeah, doing good. Uh, just happy to uh, move on from Halloween and start in my Italian Horror Month stuff. So, Woo! yeah, I, yeah, I've uh, been doing uh, at least something every day. Which, uh, other than Thanksgiving, uh, for those that don't know, uh, every day of the month, uh, like I said, except for Halloween, for Thanksgiving during uh, the month of October, is Italian Horror Month. So. Yeah, I'm not starting with, you know, like I did the past few years with Argento or Fulci, so maybe that'll come back to bite me in the ass, because the first one I did was Paganini Horror, so, yeah, not really the the brightest one to start off with, but, uh, yeah, I figured, you know, at least this time, might as well start at the bottom, so... (laughs) But, uh, yeah, like I said... Work your your way up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. But, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, doing good. Not uh, catching anything, so uh, kind of an unusual time of the year because uh, usually it's, uh, you know, me or one of my uh, family members that catches something. So, yeah, uh, the fact that uh, nobody's had something this deep in the year is uh, a little shocking, but, uh, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, that'll uh, continue. Because, yeah, we're we're usually one of those uh, somebody's got something, you know, Last week of October, first week of November. So, the fact that it's uh, this late in the year and nobody's caught anything is kind of weird and pleasant, actually. But uh, yeah, we're hoping to ride the wave. So. Yeah, and it sucks because like once someone in under your roof gets it, it's so hard to avoid everyone else getting it. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, uh, this week we are covering a movie on Netflix. A Netflix original, which is a prequel to a different Netflix original. Uh, this one that we're covering would be Sister Death, or the original title, Hermana Muerte, but uh, Venom could probably pronounce that a lot better. <laughs> uh, synopsis off IMDb. After a childhood marked by a miracle, Narcissa, a, novo- a novice nun, joins a school to teach young girls. Well, that was a very brief synopsis, not really giving away anything, so that's not the worst thing. Um, Okay, so we will start off with general thoughts on Sister Death with Venom. What did you think of the movie? Uh, Now, for those who don't know, this movie is, of course, the prequel to Veronica from 2018 or 2019, sometime in that uh, range. Uh, This was also a Netflix release when that one came out, so... Obviously, with Veronica, for those who remember, Veronica did make my top ten that year. I absolutely adore that film. Uh, I thought it was a nice, fresh take on the demonic possession subgenre. And then comes Sister Death, which, again, you're, you know, you're talking about Paco Plaza, the director of Beck and Veronica, two of my favorite Spanish language horror films ever. So I think I may have let my expectations get a little ahead of me. And and I like to consider myself the kind of person who curbs their expectations. 
Um, but because again, because of the love that I had for Veronica, you know, maybe I let my expectations get a little too ahead of me because I look at Sister Death as a good, not great movie. It's well made. It's very pretty. It's very well acted. I have no issues with any of the performances, the direction, um, the editing. You know, the, the filmmaking aspects are all on point. The the problem that I have with this movie is kind of the same problem that I had with The Exorcist Believer. It's very been there, done that. We've seen this story before. Um, you know, we... I, I don't want to give away too much about, you know, the basic plot of this one, but it's 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 a scenario that we've seen before. We're going to see it again. It's nothing too original. And coming from Paco Plaza, that, you know, is a little bit disappointing for me. The movie's getting a lot of praise, and I agree with most of the praise that it's getting. It's just I can't look at this movie as one of the best of the year, the way that Veronica and Rex both were before it. Um, again, it's not a bad film. I it definitely could have used a little bit more violence, gore, if you will. There there are there is one really cool death in the movie that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but for the most part, too, I mean, there's almost no connection to this movie with Veronica. Like, this being called a prequel to Veronica is almost a misnomer because it's really a prequel of Sister Death, who was a character in Veronica. Yes, we see Veronica in the very last scene of Sister Death, but I think that's just a setup um, that, uh, you know, that's, that Sister Narcissa is now at the same school that Veronica goes to, which obviously sets up, uh, you know, the film Veronica. But ultimately, in storytelling, these two have very little to do with each other. Um, this movie is not a demonic possession movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's very much a supernatural thriller. Um, it's, you know, it has some very cool scenes. There's a... One of the complaints I have about this movie is the the, the constant hallucination slash dream sequences that we get in the movie. I mean, there is so many. And I, I, in and of themselves, I don't usually have a problem with them. But when a movie packs in like a half dozen uh, dream fakeouts in, in a film, it starts to get a little monotonous. And, and that's where I found myself. By the time we got to like the second to last and last, of those, you know, dream slash nightmare fake outs, I was kind of just done with it. It's like, please stop doing that. <laughs> you know, it's yes, it's cool that we're setting up that, you know, Sister Narcissa maybe is not quite right in the head, that she could have something mental happening with her and maybe that it's not all physical or metaphysical. But man, it, it just it started to get a little monotonous by about halfway through the movie. It's like, OK, enough with these, you know, nightmare fake outs. Uh, you know, could we just move on to, like, the present day and tell me the story that's happening? Um, despite the negative things I'm going to say, I did enjoy this movie. I, I did have a good time with it for the most part. Like I said, it's very well made. There's nothing about it that's going to make you cringe or roll your eyes or anything. Um, my biggest issue with it, like I said, is just kind of the lack of originality. It's a very basic story that we've seen many times, and... I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself now, so I'm going to go ahead and hand it off. Not as much to say general thoughts-wise this time as I usually do on some of our films, but yeah. I'm going to say this is a good, not great film. Very, very much still worth seeing if you've seen Veronica and want to learn a little bit more about what made Sister Death who she is in that uh, Veronica film. 
Um, but as a standalone film, it's just okay, leaning slightly towards good. So I, I'm just going to leave it at that for now. It, 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 I would still give it a mild recommendation. So there you go. All right. Let's go over to Don for your general thoughts on Sister Death. Yes, um, I'm kind of right there, um, almost to the point of not having much else to say, uh, especially after all that. Um, yeah, I was a huge fan of Veronica as well. It uh, also made my top ten of the year list. And, yeah, uh, to see this, it's it's a noticeable step down and maybe, you know, even more than that. It it almost feels like this was um, a rejected draft for the nun, um, or maybe like a you know not necessarily like you know the nun sequel that we got you know earlier this year, but it very much feels like it was a rejected entry for that kind of a character because yeah the the main thing for me and yeah I'm gonna jump right into this is that it, the connections to the original film are kind of tenuous. And it doesn't really feel like it expands a whole lot on what went on there. I mean, yeah, it's more so a prequel to the film rather than the character. But, yeah, I I didn't really feel like it really expanded on much. Um, Kind of like, you know, again, another metaphor, but, uh, you know, like with Pearl and X, where Pearl never really developed any, you know, you never really learned anything in there that you didn't learn already from X. So it kind of just made it feel redundant almost. And yeah, a, a lot of what we learn here, it's not really all that, you know, it, it, it enhances what we learned in Veronica. It just, it feels like a genuine ghost, you know, run of the mill ghost story. And a lot of what we get in here from that is kind of not that interesting. Uh, the, you know, the fake outs are just overdone. Um, most of them aren't even really that scary. Um, I, I think one or two of them would probably be a little bit more chilling under the, you know, different circumstances where they're not like, you know, you don't get like, you know, what was it? Like there was at least half a dozen of them, right? Where yeah. like she falls asleep or, you know, she's like daydreaming in her bedroom and, you know, something shifts in the background or, you know, some demon, you know, like some, some object starts acting unusual yeah, it, it just it gets really repetitive and boring, and it, it kind of just makes the film feel a lot longer than it is. But, and I mean, yeah, overall, it's, you know, like you said, it's still worth the watch. It's still, you know, it's not, you know, unwatchable by any means. It's just not really doing anything interesting, and it doesn't really feel all that big, you know, all that grand compared to what came in Veronica. Uh uh, like, you know, there's a few decent scenes here and there that are, you know, enjoyable for what they are. They're not revolutionary and they don't reinvent the wheel or anything. But, yeah, for the most part, it's good for what it is, but it's not standout and it's not spectacular by any stretch. So, I mean, yeah, there's not really much I can add to it. It's, you know, it's enjoyable for what it is. It's watchable at the least, but... Yeah, at this stage of the game, unless you're, you know, looking to just pad your numbers and, you know, boost your year-end totals, it's not really that worthwhile to watch, you know, especially for what we've got, you know, in this genre earlier this year, because we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of films that have done this better this year. So, uh, yeah, um, 
I I don't really have much else to add. I mean, that's kind of, you know, a lot where I fall in with this one, too. Okay. Well, let me just say, it's kind of a relief to hear that from you guys, because I, I have similar things to say, and I thought maybe I was going to get thrashed for it, but uh, I kind of view this movie as, like, good, watchable, but unspectacular, and a little disappointing because of that, where it, it's, like, not bad. I, I didn't regret watching it. I definitely felt like the the first two acts were a lot more formulaic than I expected them to be. But I really did enjoy, like, the third act, some of the stuff that happened in the third act. I mean, we... we yeah, the third, kind of act is definitely, your, yeah, the third act is definitely the, the best part of the film, for sure. That's definitely where it kicks into gear, and that's really where it, it starts doing something a little bit more interesting, for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely raised the movie's stock. I, I liked some of the imagery. I liked how things played out. It just... To, uh, in order to get there, we had to go through a lot of formulaic, been there, done that. Like Venom said, a lot of like dream sequence fake-outs or hallucinations. And after the first couple, it's just like, okay, we, we get it. Like The person's experiencing these things, so can we like move on to other plot devices? Um, but yeah, it, like I said, I, like, I, I liked it. I just didn't love it. And I, Paco Plaza, he's one of those directors where expectations are going in. This movie almost kind of feels like maybe he was just paid to do it because Veronica was somewhat of a hit, and maybe Netflix just came to him and said, hey, uh, why don't you make a sequel or and maybe or a prequel and we'll give you the money to do it, versus maybe Veronica, he actually, like, you know, maybe it was his passion project to, to make it. Um, but, yeah, I... I I would say I would still say it's like a little bit above average. I I would almost say like if if you want to see a better version of like the nun, like those types of movies, like I still would call this like a better version of those. But even that doesn't touch like the peak of what Paco Plaza is capable of. So it's like you're. I, I still think this is better than a lot of what we get like run of the mill theatrical stuff. But it just doesn't hit the highs. Of, of other stuff we've seen from Paco Plaza, or at least like his best stuff. Um, what else can I say? You know, de- a decent story. I thought the actor, the actors, the the cast, they they were fine with what they had to work with. Um, they very much took kind of like that changeling route where it's like every every bit of hallucination or. Uh, uh, not possession, but like uh, whatever the scary stuff. It's like, oh, we're dropping clues, and we'll revisit like what you're seeing later on, and it all makes sense. And yeah, I mean, it it came together in the third act to reference what we've been seeing during it. But I don't know. It, it, yeah, like I said, I'll just go back. It, it's very formulaic for the first two acts, and then the third act, I think, it does redeem the movie somewhat. It, do, it does raise it. Uh, and it's likability to me, so uh, I would say check it out. I mean, it's on Netflix, so easily accessible, and I'd still rank it like over the Nun movies, so I guess I'll leave it at that for now for general thoughts. Uh, so, Venom, what else you got to add, if anything? I, I, I'm not sure if I agree with you on the Nun analogy, because the Nun movies, at least they know what they are. You know what I mean? They don't pretend to be high art. They don't pretend to be ultra-cerebral. 
And I feel like Paco Plaza is in that echelon of like, you know, um, the Ari Asters and Robert Eggers of the world where, where his stuff is, and I hate to use the term, but yeah, is, is kind of elevated horror um, for whatever it's worth. So with Paco Plaza, I don't know, maybe if the movie was marketed a little bit differently and meant to and kind of marketed in a way where it was meant to be more like a fun roller coaster ride of a horror movie, because that's what I feel most of the Conjuring movies are. They know what they are. They're jump scare factories and they seem to embrace that. And that's part of the reason some of those movies are really enjoyable. I mean, if you guys remember, I, I actually really, really liked The Nun, too. I had a really good time with it. And like I said, it's because the movie recognizes what it is. With Sister Death, especially because, you know, we were set up with Sister Death's appearance in Veronica that was, you know, a very serious and down-to-earth kind of performance, I thought we were going to get a little bit more, a little bit less roller coaster and a little bit more, you know, of a, of a thinker's horror film, if you will. But that's not really what we got. We, you know, again, not a bad film. There's nothing that I can point at that I could say, oh, that right there is bad. No, it's just like I feel like the people that really enjoyed The Exorcist Believer are probably going to enjoy this as well, because if you can watch The Exorcist Believer and not get upset with how tropey and been there, done that it is, you're probably going to love this movie, too, because this is another movie that maybe is going to speak more to a younger audience who hasn't watched as many supernatural thrillers as, say, the three of us. So, yeah, if you enjoyed The Exorcist, go ahead and check out Sister Death. And, you know, I, I, I agree with Mike that Sister Death is a better film than the Nun movies. But on any given day, I think I'd rather watch the Nun movies for the reasons that I already gave. Like I said, it, it, it's, it knows what it is. It's not trying to be high art by any stretch of the imagination. So... But yeah, man, ah, this movie, I, I had such high expectations for this one. And once again, my expectations kind of, uh, you know, screw me over in the end. Because then I watched this movie that, if this was a standalone movie by a first-time director, I would probably be praising it. You know, because like I said, there's nothing bad about the film that I can point my finger at other than its kind of, you know, basic nature that we, you know, we've seen already, the, the basic storytelling that we've seen already. Otherwise, it's a great film. It's well made, well acted, um, good score and lack of score, too. There's a lot of great scenes in this movie where maybe a Blumhouse would have put some kind of scary music in the background. But Paco Plaza will do the scene with no background music. And sometimes... That adds, you know, it kind of heightens the tension of the scene with no background music. Yes, sometimes the music helps make a not-so-tense scene seem more tense. But here, he doesn't rely on that. And he really has never really relied on that in any of his movies. If you go back and watch any of his films, he loves his silent scenes. You know, his very tense, with, you know, little to no score in the background type scenes. And I appreciate that about him. And I still appreciated that here in this film, because there's a lot of scenes here where, you know, somebody will turn around and look at a body hanging on a noose. And if it was a Blumhouse movie, there would be a, a gigantic musical sting to go with it, you know. But here it's silent. It's like you you experience the shock of seeing this hanging body the same way the character in the movie does. You don't have that added, you know, heightened tension of the music adding to it. So 
I, I do appreciate that, but like I said, the movie is just, you know, it, it's just a little disappointing. Uh, that's all. It, hey, Ven- Venom, mm-hmm. I, I assume you've probably rewatched Veronica at least once since we did it for the show, correct? I just watched it last Friday. Okay, how how much, if any, what? Because I haven't seen it actually since we did it for the show. Uh-huh. Um, how how much, if any, of this origin backstory was alluded to or explained in Veronica, or is this like a hundred percent? Uh, unique to uh, the actual prequel itself. I mean, in Veronica, we do, you know, there's that conversation that Veronica has with Sister Death or Sister Narcissa uh-huh. in the basement where Sister Narcissa kind of tells her about, you know, being able to see the things that Veronica can see. And then in Veronica, she even says that she did this to herself in speaking about her blindness. Like she points to her fingers and right, says, right. I did this to myself. But it doesn't matter because you don't need eyes to see these things. Um, uh, so that's really ba- – that conversation in Veronica is really the, about the only thing that alludes to anything in this movie. Like I said, the only okay. thing that makes this a prequel to Veronica is that Sister Death was in Veronica. That's literally it. As far as actual story elements, uh, there's no real connection. So, Which is a little disappointing. Like maybe I would have – you know, a lot of us were probably expecting Sister Death herself to kind of maybe have to deal with a possessed person, maybe even someone possessed by the same entity that, you know, that had Veronica in in that film. That's what I think that's what a lot of us were expecting. But instead, we get just a very straightforward psychological, uh, not psychological, but um, paranormal uh, thriller, you know, Um, you know, spirits, ghosts, um, you know, messages from the past, blah, blah, blah. Like I said, it's just all stuff that we've seen before. So if you're expecting a possession movie or anything like Veronica, you're not going to get it here. This is a very different movie, a very different tone. Obviously, you know, they're still both set around, you know, Catholic uh, organizations. This one is at a convent. Veronica was at a, you know, a Catholic school where the nuns were the teachers, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, there is some similarities in tone. But for the most part, I feel like Veronica – when it comes to its atmosphere, its tension, and its legitimate scares, like like even even Veronica's jump scares, which I would never call Veronica a jump scare factory, even its jump scares were better than anything that we got in this movie. So, um, and again, you know, I don't want to talk too much smack about Sister Death. It is a good movie. It's a decent movie, very well made, very well worth watching. It's just, you know, I've been watching Spanish horror my whole life. And when it comes to the guy who's directed two of my five favorite Spanish horror films ever, I guess I expected a little bit too much. And that's more on me. That's not on Paco Plaza at all. That's just my dumbass, you know, expecting him to give us the godfather of horror, you know, which <laughs> I, should, I should never really expect from any director. But, you know, there it is. And maybe because I just watched Veronica this past Friday, literally after I got home from poker on Friday, I popped in Veronica knowing that we were going to be doing Sister Death this weekend. And, um, man, Veronica still holds up. I've seen it about a half dozen times now. It's still tense. It's still crazy. And that last image of the film, you know, the, what the cop walks into is still fucking haunting. So, yeah, Veronica still holds up. Sister Death, well, like I said, good, not great is going to be the shortest thing I can really say about this one. So, I don't know. Anything else you guys got before we get into our uh, walkthrough? 
Mm, uh, I'm not thinking of much. Um, I mean, yeah, a lot of my stuff's already been said. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to this being, like, linked with Veronica, I, while it's, like, an okay, decent movie, I don't think there's anything... Uh, when you watch... Uh, I'll put it like this. When you watch Veronica, the little bit we get um, that would allude to the stuff in this movie is almost enough. Like, it, it doesn't... This, there's nothing in this prequel that necessarily may feel necessary. That's that's why it's making me wonder if, like, Netflix just paid him to make another movie, whereas Veronica feels like maybe it's something, like, he wanted to uh, develop and make. Because Veronica, yeah, I, I uh, Veronica is super strong on its own as a standalone. Mm-hmm. And, and this feels like, yeah, sure, you could watch it just to get a backstory if you so choose, but... Um, definitely doesn't feel like a necessary watch to pair with Veronica if you, if, you know. If you yeah, that's one so. thing I will say about this movie is that it, it is nice that you don't have to see Veronica in any way, shape, or form to get everything that's happening in this movie. Obviously, if you have seen Veronica, then as soon as the movie opens, you know who the main character is. That's pretty much it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, if, if for whatever reason, you know, you're trying to pad your 2023 numbers, but you haven't seen Veronica, you can still watch Sister Death on its own and, you know, enjoy it for what it is. Um, I don't know why you would skip the superior film. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that time constraints would be about the only thing that would make you want to not watch this far superior film. But like I said, if you're padding your 2023 numbers, it's a nice 90 minute runtime. Uh, Don is right in the sense that it feels longer than 90 minutes. Like, I was actually surprised an hour into the movie, I checked my phone, and I honestly thought we were closer to the end of the film than we were, and it's because of how slow that first act is. I mean, not a whole lot happens in that first act, and ultimately, these are nuns. We don't really need a whole lot of character development. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to learn a little bit about what they, who they were before they were nuns, I guess, but... Luckily, uh, you know, our main character is really the only one who we need to know. And that's pretty much covered in the cold open, which is, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of a flashback to scenes from the past with no dialogue. And it just gives you kind of a basic idea of, uh, you know, uh, Sister Narcissa's past. So that's about it. Like I said, not a bad movie. I'm going to say that a lot in this review. Not a bad movie. Just not one that I'll probably return to anytime soon. Not likely a top 10 candidate for the year, even though if we were rating the movie, I would still rate the movie fairly high just on its filmmaking prowess. But I would obviously ding it for its storytelling being just, you know, kind of basic and color by numbers, if you will. So. All right, folks, that's going to be your final spoiler warning. If you have not watched Sister Death, go ahead and pause the show now and come back if you have no desire to watch it or you've already seen it go ahead and stick with us as we go through what i hope to be a fairly quick walkthrough it's a fairly cut and dry story so oh and it is uh i guess maybe we should add that it's a quick uh 90 minute movie too yeah yeah i said that (laughs) uh so yeah let's go uh our movie opens up in spain 1939 uh we are shown still images of a little girl holding up uh, a cross, a crucifix, like a a rosary with a crucifix on the end. She's holding it up to the sky. 
then suddenly she falls to her knees and she gets into the Jesus Christ pose, you know, with her arms spread out in the T. And we don't quite understand what's actually happening with the still images, but then we find out through a, a newspaper headline that this little girl saw the Virgin Mary uh, that day. Uh, basically, she was given a vision of the Virgin Mary and that she actually spoke to her. And, you know, so after that, the girl actually got a little bit of notoriety. She was known as the holy girl in her village and in villages surrounding hers. She actually became a little bit of a, you know, minor celebrity, local celebrity, if you will. Then we fast forward 10 years, and it is um, obviously 1949. It is uh, many years after the World War II and the Spanish Civil War, which we're going to allude to later in the film, but, you know, keep that in the back of your head for now. And one of, the, one of the nice things about this movie is that the three acts are actually, the movie's broken up into three chapters with titles, with, with chapter numbers and titles. So it, it kind of splits up the movie nicely. Chapter one, of course, is called The Holy Girl. So like I said, it is now 10 years later, and the holy girl, if you will, is introduced as Sister Narcissa. She is joining this convent, um, replacing another sister who suddenly left um, for no reason. We'll get back to that woman in a little bit. But, um, yeah, she's basically just kind of there. Everyone is excited. The Mother Superior is excited that she's there because even though it's 10 years later, she's still a little bit of a celebrity, especially around the Catholic communities. You know, people still kind of speak, you know, sing the words of praise of the holy girl. So, obviously, the Mother Superior is very happy to, for her to be there. But the Mother Superior's number one, or, you know, her main uh, nun assistant, I don't know what the actual title is, uh, she seems to be kind of a bitch towards Narcissa. Like, even though she knows who she is, she's not convinced that she actually saw the Virgin Mary that day. She actually, um, later in the film, they get into an argument, and she actually accuses her of, you know, maybe that wasn't the Virgin Mary. That Maybe that was the devil talking to you that day, which, you know, this is coming from another nun, so that, that's got to be a sharp stab to the back. Um, so literally her first night at the convent, she's already dealing with supernatural elements. There is a chair, a small wooden chair in her bedroom that continues to fall over in the exact same way. It kind of falls over towards its left side, always towards its left side. Um, and and then she gets banging on her door, very hard banging, like somebody's you know banging as hard as they can on the door. She goes out into the hall, nobody there. We've seen that before. Um, but then, <laughs> and it's funny that Mike mentioned the changeling earlier because then we literally get a ball rolling into the hallway, rolling towards her from the darkness, from nowhere. She's she's kind of freaked out, but since it's her first night in the convent, she assumes that maybe it's one of the kids' balls because, you know, they do have um, – it, it's a convent slash uh, home for uh, wayward girls. So it's kind of like a girls' school as well. So they have they do have a lot of young girls there, um, very much like the nun too. But, uh, again – uh, so let's see. So yeah, that first night, blah blah blah. She, she, you know, she gets freaked out by that ball, and then 
when trying later that evening, when she tries to put her suitcase away on an upper shelf in her closet, there's something up there that's blocking her suitcase. She goes up there. She sees this wooden box as a horror movie fan. Instantly, I'm like, don't fucking touch it. Just leave it right there. You don't need to deal with it. But of course, it's a horror movie, so she has to advance the plot. Uh, so she does open up the box and um, notices that the contents inside belong to a sister's uh, Sakaro. Sakaro is the name of this sister. But that's not the sister who stayed in this room last. Her name was Sister Inez, or Inez, however you want to say it. Um, so obviously there seems to be a trend of women living in this room and not staying at the convent for one reason or another, or dying uh, as Later, we, we do find out that Sister uh, Sakara actually did die while at the convent, whereas Sister Inez left on her own terms. So, um, <laughs> uh, we, she, she's introduced to her class. You know, she has a class. She's actually a teacher. That's the main reason that she came to this convent is to become a teacher. Um, and she's introduced to her class. It's a class full of girls, of course. As I mentioned, this is a home for wayward girls. Um, and on the very first day that she's there, she's writing her name up on the board and the girls all start like talking, like almost disrespectfully, not not in the sense that they're saying bad things, but the fact that they're talking and they're in a Catholic school with the teacher, you know, a nun at the front of the classroom writing at, on the board. So they all just start murmuring, basically, as soon as she starts writing on the board, um, she kind of admonishes the the, play, the, the class. And one of the girls named Rosa actually has kind of an adverse reaction where she actually like freezes and then ends up urinating on herself in class, which um, I, I found it kind of refreshing that none of the other girls bullied her the rest of the movie, too. You, I, you guys got to understand how much I hate bullying in horror movies. And when, it, when this girl urinated on herself in class, I'm like, ah, here it comes. God damn it. We're going to have a whole scene of like three or four of the mean girls coming and giving this girl shit. But it never happens. So, yay. You know, we'll, we'll give them uh, the movie bonus points for that one. So um, after, after Rosa leaves the class, uh, she, she kind of runs out later and sees that uh, it's the second day, actually, and half the class isn't there. And, the and you know, Sister Narcissa asks, you know, what's going on? Where's half my class? And it turns out that this school uh, runs like a laundry service. They actually do laundry for local hotels and, um, uh, and for private citizens as well. Um, some of the people that donate to the convent slash school, you know, they'll do laundry for them as well. So basically a bunch of her class is out doing laundry. Sister Narcissa goes out and asks Rosa, uh, so what happened in class yesterday? And it seems like Rosa wants to tell her, but Rosa's sister is right there with her. And Rosa's sister seems to be kind of the alpha of the pair and basically tells her sister to shut up, that, you know, she doesn't need to know the story, blah, blah, blah. But then she does find out, um, and she finds out in Chapter 2, which is conveniently titled, If She Writes Your Name, You Are Cursed. That is the title of chapter two. And in this chapter, of course, we find out that there is a legend here at the school of a little girl who supposedly died at the school and now haunts the school. And the legend is, is that if your name is written on the blackboard mysteriously, that you will be cursed and that you will be the next to die. 
Uh, there's also there's also like a makeshift hangman game going on in the sister's room where every night a new limb seems to magically be appearing on this hangman game. Uh, once we get to kind of the third act, you'll understand why they're playing hangman. Though I did kind of allude to it a little bit in, in the earlier section. So, uh, yeah. Um, this is where Sister Narcissa starts having these weird hallucinations slash nightmares slash daydreams slash whatever the hell you want to call them. Uh, the first one she has is when she goes down to the kitchen. Um, she ends up meeting a nun who appears to be a cook. She's making these little like these little round pastry type things, almost like Christmas cookie type things. And she basically tells Sister Narcissa that, oh, no. I mix these up. I don't know which ones of them have vodka in them and which ones don't, because obviously you're not going to give the young girls sweets with vodka in it. So she ends up giving the sister a couple to try. The sister lets her know, okay, this one's rose water. Oh, this one has alcohol in it. So um, the the chef lady basically asks her to stay and help her identify which are which so that she can then separate them. But then she pulls out a tray of what's called the special sweets. And she tells uh, what's her, uh, she tells Sister Narcissa to go ahead and have one, but Sister Narcissa, being a very demure, you know, petite white woman, <laughs> she she wants to take these little bites from the cookies, but the sister kind of yells at her and says, "No, the special sweets have to be eaten at once, all at once, in one bite. You have to put the whole thing in your mouth." So she does that. She eats it. It tastes a little weird to her, but you know, she's she says, uh, you know, it doesn't have alcohol. Blah blah blah. Then the sister goes to hand her another one, and Sister Narcissa politely says, "Oh no, you know, I, I don't. I've already, it's late, and I've already had a few of these. I don't want any more." And that's when the, the the chef gets violent with her, basically slams down the tray of sweets and says, "No, the special sweets have to be eaten in a pair. You have to eat two of them. You cannot just eat one." Of course, Sister Narcissa, you know, looks at her oddly, but relents, goes ahead and eats the second one. As soon as she eats the second one, um, the chef starts laughing. Uh, we see her cover her face for some reason, like like she's laughing so hard that she's got her arm over her face, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly Sister Narcissa starts spitting up blood. And then there's like fleshy things in the blood that she's spitting out. Eventually, she looks down at her hands, and she sees two eyeballs. She basically, you know, ingested two eyeballs that were within these two sweets. And then when she looks up, the chef moves her arms to show that both of her eyes are missing. And then, of course, she wakes up. So, yeah, like I said, that I'm not going to go through all of these dream sequences, but that's the first of many. There's a bunch of them in here. So... Eventually, um, Rosa ends up getting in trouble because one night she, she takes one of the younger girls in the school to the bathroom in the middle of the night. While they're in the bathroom, one of the bathtubs just fills up with water for no reason, just fills up with water. And the water starts uh, kind of splashing around violently like there's someone in it. But we, the viewer, don't see anyone in the water. There's no one there. But there's something violently splashing in the water. Eventually, the water drains out of the bathtub, and what's left is a clump of hair at the bottom of the drain, you know, where the, where the water goes down the drain. So, of course, Rosa bends down, um, picks up the hair, and then she looks on the floor and realizes there's a pair of scissors on the floor. So then she picks up the pair of scissors, and, of course, at that exact moment, 
uh, the the kind of bitchy nun, the one that um, doesn't like Narcissa too much. What is her name? Um, Sagario, uh, Hermana Sagario. Uh, she's kind of the number two to the Mother Superior. Uh, so, like I said, she shows up at that instant, sees Rosa holding a clump of hair and a pair of scissors. Then they go back to the bedroom, you know, where all the girls are sleeping, and one of the girls is crying because somebody cut her hair off. And literally, you can see that someone has basically cut the back of her hair off, and here's Rosa holding a pair of scissors and a clump of hair. Of course, Rosa didn't do it, but she does get admonished. Um, you know, she ends up getting punished. And man, punishment at this school sucks because they literally put her in a dungeon. I'm not fucking exaggerating. They put her in a dungeon. Um, I doubt without food or water or anything too crazy, but we eventually see Sister Narcissa go down to, to visit Rosa to bring her something to eat. But Rosa says, you know, I'm supposed to fast while I'm down here. Um, you know, to kind of learn my lesson for what I did, even though both Rosa and Narcissa know that she did nothing. But obviously you're not going to go against the Mother Superior or her number one. But this is the scene where Rosa finally tells the full story, that there was a girl at the school who lived here years ago. She died mysteriously. No one knows how or why. And that if this little girl, or basically if your name magically appears on a chalkboard, the chalkboard in class, that you are the next one to go. And of course, that does end up eventually happening later in the film. There's going to be a scene where everyone is in class. They're quietly, like one of the girls is reading out of a text. And everyone else in the class is being quiet. And then we see Rosa look up at the board the camera doesn't show the board, but we hear the sound of chalk hitting the board and someone writing something up there. Eventually, Rosa screams and runs out of the class. And, you know, Sister Narcissa doesn't know why. She's like, what's going on? And that's when the girl who was reading out of the text points at the board. And we see Rosa's name written three times in very sloppy, um, almost childlike handwriting. Um, so, of course, Rosa is upset. She ends up running back to her room. Sister Narcissa ends up um, following her back to the room <laughs> and basically tells her, I believe you. You know, I'm not like the other nuns. I believe you. I believe that you saw a little girl, but I need your help in helping me see the girl because I can't see her by myself. I need your help. And this is where Rosa basically tells her that the night that the last sister that lived in that room, Sister Inez, that the last night that she lived there, she completed the hangman puzzle. She drew the final leg on the puzzle. And that that night, something appeared in her room, and that's when she took off. She basically packed her stuff and left that same night. So Narcissa basically asks Rosa, okay, let's go ahead and do this. But they don't know who should do it, if it should be the nun, if it should be the little girl. So they basically do it together. They both hold the pencil. They draw the final leg on the uh, on the hangman game to complete the game, you know, to complete the hangman. And suddenly something appears in her room. Narcissa is not able to see it, but Rosa is able to see it. And she's Rosa's basically telling her, she's right behind you. She's right behind you. Narcissa's looking, doesn't see anything, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, eventually, when Narcissa turns back around to talk to Rose again, Rose is gone. She's vanished in thin air. Uh, Rose's bedroom door did not open and close, so literally Rose just vanished. Um, and then when she does turn around, we as the audience finally see a nun, very, very Valak-type nun, maybe not quite as creepy as Valak, but, uh, you know, a very obviously dead nun kind of hovering in the air behind Narcissa. She ends up trying to, uh, she ends up leaving the room trying to find Rosa. She ends up finding Rosa's sister, telling her that Rosa is missing. They basically run wild through the place looking for her. Finally, Narcissa goes to the confessional booth, and goes into the confessional and realizes that she's locked in there. She can't get out. And now this is the second scene in a confessional. The first scene in the confessional was very normal. You know, she, she talked about her sins. She talked about the doubts that she had about the new job and everything else. And we hear, you know, the kindly priest on the other side talking about her devotion and her faith and how that's going to help her get through her troubles and blah, 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 blah. Nothing nothing too nefarious happens during that scene. But during this scene, she's locked in the confessional. She can't get out. Suddenly, the same voice that we heard earlier of the priest starts speaking to her. But this time, he's speaking to her much more menacingly. And finally, when Narcissa says, who are you? The, the thing on the other side says, you know who I am. And then we see, like... Um, through the great, you know, the great window in between the, the two halves of the confessional, we start seeing a series of eyes open. First one eye opens right when he says, right when the voice says, you know who I am. And then a whole series of eyeballs start opening. I'm thinking this is suddenly Lovecraftian, but nope, nope, just supernatural. Um, eventually, uh, she is attacked by random hands, like basically just hands of random people start coming. Not demons, they're, they're legit human hands. Basically start ripping through the mesh, ripping through the sides of the walls, grabbing her. And then finally she's able to get out of her half of the confessional. When she falls out of the confessional box, the door on the other side opens. And instead of a priest... Uh, sitting there, it's Rosa hanging from a, from a noose. Uh, Rosa has basically been killed at this point. Um, very sad scene. Because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys who always says I'm on board for killing kids in horror movies. But in this particular situation, this girl did not deserve it. She was a good person. Um, but obviously, you know, we're talking about demons here or we're talking about something. At least at this point, you're thinking it's a demon of some kind. Um uh, let's see, uh, bah, 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 bah. more dream fake-outs. Um, okay, now it is the third chapter, and the third chapter is called Sister Sakara, who is, of course, the name of the nun who at one point lived in Sister uh, Narcissa's room and found that box of her personal possessions. I forgot to mention that there was, like, a picture of her, like a dead mass, uh, a dead picture of her dead body, like in a casket, um, there's some letters that were written to her. There's a pair of scissors, which, by the way, are the scissors that end up in the bathroom during the haircutting scene. This is why Sister Narcissa knows that Rosa is telling the truth, because those scissors were in the box, and then suddenly they're not in the box. So blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so at this point, um, with, with Rosa having been killed, 
And no one believes that this little girl killed herself. Like, why would Rosa kill herself? She has no reason to. She wasn't depressed, you know, blah, blah, blah. So uh, obviously Sister Narcissa knows that there's something going on in the school. But Mother Superior and Mother Sagrario, Sagario, uh, basically just deny that anything is going on. You know, they're basically saying, oh, you're crazy, blah, blah, blah. And then, like I said, during Rosa's wake, this is when uh, Sister Sagadio basically comes up to her and tells her, look, you don't belong here. I told you you don't belong here. You've done nothing but brought evil to this house, and you should probably leave. After a little bit of consideration, uh, Narcissa actually does decide to leave. She packs up her stuff and she starts to walk out of the out of the convent. But then, uh, one thing that I forgot to mention that on this day there is a solar eclipse. And earlier in the film, they talk about the solar eclipse and they talk about how you need special equipment to look at it that you can't look at it directly with your eyes because it could blind you. Basically, what ends up happening is. Um, as Sister Narcissa is trying to leave, she's outside, she ends up falling to her knees and going into the Jesus Christ pose again, just like when she was a kid and she saw this, the Virgin Mary. But instead, she's staring into the sun during a solar eclipse. Um, and literally, you know, the moon gets in the way, which, you know, that's usually the safe part. You can look at that part of the eclipse. But once the move, once the moon starts to move away from blocking the sun, that's when you can't look at it directly with your eyes because you could burn your retinas. And that's exactly what Sister Narcissa does. She's basically in some kind of trance staring at the sun almost like it's the face of God. And when the eclipse, when the, when the moon moves out of the way of the sun, we see her eyes basically glaze over, and she now has the eyes that she has in Veronica. So we basically see the scene where Narcissa blinds herself. Unfortunately, the instant that she does it, she starts to see things that aren't there. And it, it's kind of cool. I'm going to give Paco Plaza credit for this scene because I love the way he filmed it. Because we see Narcissa walking around this scene where we see actual people in the present day interacting in the environment. But then we also see almost like holographic images of the past, of events that were happening during the Spanish Civil War at the convent. And they're both happening at the same time. So it's like she has to concentrate on which one to look at. So obviously blinding herself gave her some kind of new vision, a third, you know, almost like a sixth sense, if you will, uh, which is probably what most people would call it. While she's in this trance and she's seeing all these events, she's basically seeing uh, the, the events of the day that a bunch of local Spaniards basically ransacked the convent uh, back when it was just a convent. It wasn't a girl's school at the time. And she sees these guys basically just feeling anything that looks like it might be of value, basically hitting the nuns, punching them, throwing them to the ground, stealing anything that isn't bolted down. And then eventually she gets to a, she gets to the barn where she sees pretty much the worst act there is. We see one of the townsmen actually raping one of the nuns. And I thought the nun was actually dead because her eyes are open and she's not moving. I'm thinking, this piece of shit is raping a dead nun. Are you kidding me? But she was not dead. She was just kind of in a trance. You know, um, I, I'm not going to venture to even guess what that, what a woman, what goes through a woman's head when something like that is happening. But yeah, it looks like she just kind of froze and just laid there and took it. Um, 
when she comes to, when she kind of snaps out of that dream, she talks to, um, you know, Mother Superior's number one again, um, Sister Sigario, and basically tells her, I saw what happened here. I was there. I saw what happened the day that this place was ransacked. And obviously, you know, Sister Sigario doesn't want to admit it basically denies that anything happened. You didn't see anything. You're just insane. You're stupid. You know, you need to get out of here, blah, blah, blah. Um, basically, you know, not relenting that anything happened. Eventually, later in the day, um, she's in her room. She's got bandages over her eyes. She's not completely blind at this point. Obviously, if you've seen Veronica, you know that Sister Death is completely blind in that film. Um, but here she's kind of on the way to being blind. Like her eyes are glazed over, but she still does have a very rudimentary sense of sight left. Like we kind of see her POV shot and she can still make out who people are, but it's just very, very fuzzy and very washed out. So anyway, during this time, um, she's in her room and she asks uh, the, uh, the, the, the nun that's there taking care of her. She asks her, can you go up to the closet and grab that box? you know, Sister Sakaro's uh, box, and asks her, pull the picture out of the box and hand it to me. The picture, of course, is of Sister Sakaro in her death casket, you know, on her during her wake. And then as soon as she touches the picture, she gets the rest of her flashback. And this is where we find out that Sister Sakara actually became pregnant after she was raped. But because she's a nun who's supposed to be a virgin... Um, you know, married to God, married to the Lord, um, the, the other nuns cover it up. Uh, Mother Superior, Mother Sagario, um, uh, they basically just cover it up. Nothing ever happened. They end up, t you know, obviously the girl stays, you know, and they basically just, if anybody asks outside of the convent, they just tell them, oh, she's an orphan that was dropped off, blah, 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 blah. Eventually what happened is uh, Sister Sagario, because of the circumstance of how this child was born, that she was a child of rape, she basically says this child can never leave this convent. We can never let anyone outside of this convent know that this girl even exists. Uh, what happens is one day the girl gets sick. She's very violently sick. Um, she has a fever. Her body, she's sweating. Her body is very, very hot. And her mother, uh, Sister Sakaro, wants to take her to the hospital. Of course, Mother Superior and Mother Sigario don't want that to happen. That the, They don't want anyone to know about this girl. So they decide to literally take the girl away from Mother from Sister Sicaro, lock her in her room so that she can't interrupt, and then they take her up to the bathroom and fill up a, a tub with water to kind of bring her body temperature down. That was the plan. Unfortunately, the girl is writhing and she's struggling. She's not, you know, she's not cooperating with the sisters. Eventually, there's an accident and mother or sister Sigario accidentally pushes her too hard down into the tub. She smacks the back of her head on the porcelain of the tub and it looks like she dies fairly quickly. Um, if she didn't die right away, she definitely died from drowning because as soon as her head is cracked on the back of the bathtub and you see the blood run down, both the mother superior and sister Sigario let go of her and she just falls into the water. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a chance she just has a concussion, <laughs> but nope, now she's dead. You just let her drown. So whatever. Anyway, point is, um, they are responsible for the death of Sister uh, Sakaro's, um, you know, child of rape. 
um, somehow Sister Sakaro understands that something happened to her daughter at the instant, literally like at the instant that her head hits the porcelain and she supposedly dies, you see Sister Sicario start crying really, really, you know, violently. She, we, we then end up seeing her get a rope, set up a very familiar wooden chair underneath the rope, and then she kicks the chair out from under her so that the chair falls to its left in a very familiar way that we've been seeing all throughout the movie. Um, at this point, um, uh, Sister Sigaro, Sigario, excuse me, comes back into the room, into Sister Sicaro's room, sees that Sister Sicaro has killed herself, and then she breaks down because she realizes yeah, I'm basically a murderer right now. I just I just killed a little girl, and we're not going to tell anybody about it. And the mother literally just committed suicide. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty evil, and I think that's the kind of the impression that most of us viewers get as we're watching the movie that Sister Sagario uh, is kind of the uh, the evil one here. Um, after this realization. Uh, we then see uh, Sister Narcissa. You know, her eyes are bleeding. And she's standing in the hall with Sister Sakaro's ghost standing behind her. And basically what ends up happening is there's, there's this really weird parallel editing going on in this scene where we're seeing events from the past at the same time as we're seeing events in the present. So it's kind of a weird um, kind of dual editing process going on. What we end up seeing is Sister Narcissa in the past, who obviously wasn't there when it first happened, we see her open the door for Sister Sakara. Remember, Sister Sakara was locked in her door when they took her daughter away from her. What we see is um, Sister Narcissa in the past unlock the door and let Sister Sakara out. By doing this, the spirit of Sister Sakara is now able to take revenge in the present. So it's kind of, a, like I said, it's a weird scene if you're not paying attention. But if you're paying attention, you should be able to figure out what's happening. So basically what ends up happening is we see Mother Superior from back in the day, from the day that uh, the death occurred, she's still kind of standing next to the bathtub and she's just kind of in shock uh, sitting there by herself because Sister Sagaria has left to go, uh, you know, to go back to Sister Sakara's room. And then uh, basically the water just turns all red, like deep red, and you can't see what's inside the water. So, of course, as savvy horror fans, we know what's about to happen. But, of course, Mother Superior leans over to try to see what's in the water. And, of course, two little arms, two little childlike arms come out of the water, grab her head, and pull her down into the water. And what we see is that in in present day, Mother Superior is in her office on her knees praying, and we see her start spitting up red water. So, like I said, we're seeing the events of the past and the present at the same time. It's kind of, like I said, it's weird. It's cool, but it's weird. Uh, and then the one cool death that I really liked about this one is we see Mother uh, Sister Sigario. Uh, we see her in the present day kind of running away because she sees the spirit of Sister Sicaro standing behind Sister Narcissa. So she basically is running away. She ends up, we see her in the past 
running into almost like a storage room that has like a bunch of statues and whatnot in it. She's finally, eventually, she's standing in front of a, I forget what the statue was too. Shit. I, I meant to make a note of that and I forgot. Um, I don't know if it was a statue of Jesus or St. Peter or whatever, but it was a religious statue of some kind, a full-size statue, like six to eight feet tall. And she's standing in front of it in the past. And in the present, we see her in her room also on her knees praying Eventually, we start to see the statue um, start to shake a little bit, almost like it's wobbling. And then finally, it falls down and hits her right in the face. But the cool thing that they did here was rather than showing us the effect from the past, they show us the effect from the present day. So we basically see Sister Sagario's face cave in, but we don't see the statue because the statue is not there. The statue is from the past. So we literally see her face just fucking cave in and two of her teeth fall out into her mouth. It's fucking gnarly as hell, I will say. And for a character as shitty as this one, it's a nice guilty pleasure kill, definitely. Uh, so at this point, yeah, um, Mother Superior and Sister Sigario are both gone. And then we see the spirit of Sister Sakaro go back up to the bathroom where her sister died, uh, where her daughter died, excuse me. And we see her kind of pick up her dead daughter out of the bathtub. Once again, it's a shot from the past, but we're also seeing it parallel with the present. She picks up her daughter, her dead daughter, out of the water, but then the daughter kind of comes to and puts her arm around her mother. And then we see them both, um, you know, arm in arm just kind of disappear altogether. And that's pretty much the end of the movie in present day. We do get a little bit of a finale scene where it's now, um, it's now back forward to 1991, which is when Veronica took place. And we see the same actresses who played sister death in Veronica and Veronica herself, um, basically, uh, showing us the first day of, uh, Sister Narcissa, her first day at this school where Veronica now is. So um, this, it, it's actually not bad to actually watch these movies in reverse order. Like if you watch this one first and then go into Veronica, Veronica will probably be like a nice little surprise because it's so different from Sister Death. And like I said, like the three of us have all kind of agreed on so much better that it would be almost like a natural way to watch this. I mean, I'm kind of a purist, so I'm always going to watch movies based on their chronological release. But I think it would be a cool double feature to watch Sister Death first and then go into Veronica. I think that would, and that would only be three hours because both movies are exactly 90 minutes, which is kind of convenient. So there you go, my friends. That is Sister Death 2023. Yay. We're done. Well, I mean, it we sounds got our, we got our connection to Veronica at the end. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it's always nice to see her. I I love Veronica. <laughs> I know she plays a teenage girl, but she was actually like twenty five in Veronica, so it's okay for me to say dirty things. <laughs> yeah, um, um, like we like we've already said, good, not great, uh, yeah. serviceable movie, I guess. Uh, could be like. You know, it's obviously a companion piece to Veronica, but I just feel like Veronica is so next level compared to this, and it's yeah. hard not to call this a disappointment. 
Yeah. I mean, this walkthrough, I, this walkthrough made it sound a little better because you cut out a lot of the useless crap, but still. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cut out most of the dream sequences. <laughs> You'll see, if you watch the movie, if you've already seen the movie, then you already know what we're talking about. If you're still here with us and you haven't watched the movie, um, just realize that there's like six or seven of those scenes in this movie. So even though I skipped them, just realize you're going to get a lot of fake-out scares in this one. They're not bad necessarily. It's just after a while they get monotonous, and it's like, okay, stop. Can we just get to it? So, yeah. Not a bad movie, just maybe a little bit less than what we were hoping for, but still a decent movie, still worth watching. All right. Let's uh, find out where else we could be heard before we close out shop. Uh, Venom, do you have anything new since our last uh, couple recordings, since those took place pretty close to each other? Nothing specifically new. Nothing's recorded yet. I do have some, a couple of things I can announce. Um, I know on the last episode we talked about the next episode of Creature Comforts. Uh, that got postponed a week, so we're actually going to be getting together this week, fingers crossed. And we're going to be looking at the Great Spider Invasion. Um, I believe giant spider. Giant, giant spider, spider invasion. Giant, giant yeah. uh, from seventy-seven, I believe, right? Somewhere in that range, seventy-six, uh, seventy-five to seventy-seven. Uh, I, yeah. I couldn't remember. It, it, it's in that frame. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, giant spider invasion for Creature Comforts episode eighteen. That'll get recorded this week, and hopefully, we'll be out uh, the following week sometime once I get that edited. Um, obviously we have the main show. We have two episodes of the main show out, um, the, the main show where we look at a couple of movies, I believe that's episode 56 or 57, that's out. And then our Halloween special where we did a commentary for Deadly Friend, which is kind of a stretch on a Halloween movie, but it does have a couple of scenes that take place during Halloween. So I guess we'll accept it. So yeah, we did. That was our Halloween special for 2023. And then one thing that I have to announce that I'm very excited about is after three years away, I will be back on the 22 shots or what is it? Yeah. 22 shots of moods and horror podcast. I am back for Italian Horror Month, where on my episode, which will probably be the last episode of the month that's recorded by the guys, we're going to be looking at three films from Massimo Pupillo. And those three films are Terror Creatures from the Grave, The Bloody Pit of Horror, and Lady Morgan's Vengeance. Two of these are going to be first-time watches for me. The Bloody Pit of Horror is an old, is actually an old guilty pleasure favorite of mine, so I'm very familiar with that one. <laughs> what was it, the Red Red Baron or whatever? Red Baron, yeah. Oh God, that guy. Uh, but anyway, I mean, it's an old favorite from the Mystery Science Theater days because that was the first time I saw it. I did eventually watch it multiple times, you know, standalone by itself, and I always have a good time with it. So I'm actually excited yeah, to see the other two. Because those will be first-time watches. Mm -hmm. Terror Features is really fun. Um, I, I really like that one. It's a little bit more of a serious gothic horror. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's Barbara Steele, so you can't go wrong there. Nice. Lady Morgan I've seen once. I don't I, – I, I know I've seen that one once. I, I don't really remember much about it. I, I, I definitely have to revisit it, but I know I've seen that one once. I, I just – I can't remember. 
But yeah, um, A Bloody Pit of Horror is just a fantastic Jesus. I love that movie. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Oh, <laughs> my God. Anyway, so yeah, look out for that. That'll, I would imagine that'll be out sometime in early November because we're going to be recording that after Thanksgiving. So look out, or early December, I meant. Uh, that episode will probably be out early December because we're going to be recording it after Thanksgiving. So look out for that. And I think that's pretty much everything I have. Uh, a couple of guest spots on... Um, the Cinema Beef podcast, and then it does unfortunately look like all three of our appearances on Cut to the Chase will have to be canceled for 2023. Cut to the Chase announced this past week that they're going to take the rest of November off, and they're going to come back with uh, 12 days of Chasemas in December. Um, they've already given me word that the three of us will, you know, basically be the first ones invited on since we're, we're, our episodes basically got axed for October because of the tragedy in the uh, Cut to the Chase family. So, uh, so look out for those episodes in December. I'll remind everyone, obviously. But, uh, yeah, that's everything I got. All right. How about you, Don? Yeah, not much. Um, like I mentioned, we're getting ready for uh, Creature Comforts, which is uh, going to be quite fun. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I actually have one that I almost forgot about, and I think I've stopped uh, promoting it. So, yeah, it's been a while. But uh, my appearance on uh, the Stu World Order, where I looked at uh, the film Red 2, um, we recorded that one, I think, March or April. Um, I, I don't remember. I think it was like way back then, but, uh, yeah, we recorded it back then and yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, uh, you know, it's a real short one. It's only about uh, half an hour or so, so it's not going to be a real big time waste, but yeah, it's, uh, really fun to, you know, go back and revisit that one. Cause I really remember liking it, but, uh, yeah, that one is available. It's, um, I, I think you said it was on the, um, feed called stew world order um i don't know if it's like available everywhere because i mean i never met the guy but uh you know we worked he worked on my show and i worked on his as a you know favor back for him so uh go ahead and check that one out and yeah um like i said cut to the chase is going to be uh you know the you know cut to the chase miss uh seasonal stuff in december but other than that, uh, just, uh, you know, season two of Horror Countdown, getting ready for uh, season three coming up pretty soon. So it's pretty much it for me. All right. Uh, as far as I go, I got nothing on the horizon other than our shows. Uh, and speaking of that, uh looks like the next two episodes of Fresh Cuts, there are theatrical releases, one of them being It's a Wonderful Knife followed by Thanksgiving for the next two weeks. So um, after that, I'm not sure. I haven't looked that far ahead, only because I've just had a busy end of the month. I just happen to know those movies coming out. But, I mean, <clears throat> we got plenty of time for for uh, to figure it out beyond that. So uh, um, we got uh, our plans for the near future, Fresh Cuts, and beyond that, we'll figure it out. What's, what, what's that one you just said? It's a wonderful knife? Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of that. What's that? It yeah, looks like it's going to be like a holiday slasher movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's the play on the holiday phrase, but yeah, I've never heard of it. 
Yeah, I it, it has some good festival buzz. Yeah, it hasn't got like a ton of promotion. I'm actually surprised I haven't seen it advertised about more because it, for the fact that it's coming up this week. Yep. Uh, I, I would have thought I've heard heard about it more. I think I when did I I must have got a trailer for it maybe at some time in the past month um, at the theater. I mean. So, but other than that, yeah, it's it's not like I've, I've read up a ton about it or anything, so, which is, is odd those, because, you know, in the theater you would think they'd be wanting to push it more, but. Is it a full release or one of those where we may have to choose a uh, alternate? Uh, it's a, f- well, yeah. I know for sure I'm getting screens for it, so it's a big enough release that it's not just the major cities. Because I'm, yeah. uh, my city is not considered like a major metropolitan city. So if I'm getting it, it's at least a big enough release to where mo- like a, a significant portion of the country is. Yeah, all the theaters out here are getting it. So it's well, what I'm saying. I mean, I've never, like I said, I never heard of it. So yeah, just uh, just wondering. Cool. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's also did, did you guys already go see the new Godzilla movie? Not no, I'm yet. waiting for the American release. No, it only came out in Japan this week. Yeah, that's no, not oh, out okay. here yet. Yeah, it comes out here. Okay, but people 1st. people must have just been been uh, posting pictures of their advanced or the fact that they bought tickets already because yeah, it opens here December first too. For some reason, I thought uh, uh, L.A. or something had screening. There was a and, screener. There was like a like a pre-release screener that I know, like Gareth Edwards was there, uh, the guy who directed you know 2014 Godzilla, and he praised it. He actually said it's yeah. the best Godzilla movie he's seen. So that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, um, I've, I've heard a lot of similar buzz as well from. Uh, there's a few friends I've made that are in Japan that have said the same thing that it's the best one they've seen. And I spent oh, a bunch of money on Godzilla Day buying toys and coins and everything else. So, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared. I got my Godzilla Minus One merchandise on the way. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, sounds like we got some plans for Fresh Cuts already uh, stored away. Um, but other than that, thank you, everybody, for listening. We're going to get out of here now. So let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Uh, I got nothing funny to say. <laughs> convents, convents are creepy. <laughs> well, I, I that, that's kind of a given, yeah. But yeah, yeah. even when they're not I, trying to be. <laughs> I'm just gonna go back to Veronica and say, don't fuck with Ouija boards. There, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Peace. <laughs>